Rudyard Griffiths here, the Executive Director of The Hub. Welcome to the Friday Roundtable edition of The Hub Dialogues. Each week on this program, we dig into the big issues and ideas shaping the public conversation with Sean Spear, our Editor-at-Large, and Stuart Thompson, our Editor-in-Chief. The goal of these weekly programs is to leave you with some new analysis and insights into the week that was. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granowski Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Stuart Thompson, uh, great to be in conversation with you today. Uh, as listeners will know, typically uh, the roundtable consists of uh, Stuart Thompson, our editor in chief, Rudyard Griffiths, our executive director, and me, Sean Spear, uh, the hub's editor at large. Um, but today, Rudyard Griffiths is away. And Stuart, you're coming to me uh, from the homeland, the province of Alberta. How, how are things since you were there last? Oh, that's great. Uh, the February weather in Calgary is plus seven right now. So <laughs> I got pretty lucky with that. And uh, it's, you know, pre-election. So it's a fun place to be right now. Yeah, no kidding. We and you're there for the uh, the handshake that shook the country. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's to... in Ottawa, and I came to Calgary while that was happening. It's annoying. Well, referring, of course, to uh, the meeting between Alberta Premier Daniel Smith and uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, ostensibly about healthcare. Um, but of course, I think it's the first time they've met since she became Premier of the province. Up until now. Their interactions have been via open letters, it seems like. Uh, what's the sense back back in Alberta about this first interaction and and uh, the premier's reluctant handshake? Yeah, it is really funny. I would recommend checking out the CBC reporter Jason Markasoff's Twitter feed because he posted all of the photos of the past few prime, uh, premiers with <laughs> Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. It's really funny because it's fun for Trudeau because he doesn't care. He goes in with the gusto and a big smile <laughs> and the premiers have to kind of act like they don't want to be doing it, but they don't want to be too rude. And all of them did it. Um, poor Rachel Notley was wearing a backwards cowboy hat when she got hers with Trudeau at the time, <laughs> not on purpose. Um, so yeah, I think that is the vibe. I like the, the, the Trudeau name is exactly as unpopular as it always has been, no matter what happens, no matter who's premier. And the the troubles that Notley had were kind of marked by that relationship because the Alberta NDP went down the you know environmental road in a similar way to the Liberals subsequently ended up doing. They Liberals basically copied the Alberta NDP plan. Mm. And she was always tied to Trudeau because of that. And it was politically very hurtful for her. And she was always trying to act like, you know, similar to the way she would with the federal NDP party, she had to distance herself. Uh, it's easier for Kenny, it's easier for Smith because they can just attack him um, and there's no trouble with that. But um, it's always, you all, when you go to Ottawa, you always have to act like you don't want to be there as an Alberta <laughs> Premier. Well, the reason she was there, as I mentioned, uh, was uh, the first minister's meeting, the first first minister's meeting in some time uh, to talk about the subject of healthcare, which of course is something that we've been covering extensively at the Hub uh, for several months now, of course. Uh, healthcare systems across the country are under tremendous pressure um, coming out of the pandemic and, of course, uh, confronting um, the inexorable pressure that that aging demographics will impose uh, on healthcare. Um, I think we're going to we'll talk about that a bit here uh, on today's episode of The Roundtable, and then we'll wrap up the second half of the show 
uh, with a new controversy involving uh, the CBC and conservative leader uh, Pierre Polyev. Something, of course, you've been following closely, Stuart, after your really terrific, one of our best performing articles of all time at the Hub, um, unpacking the various options available to the conservative leader to uh, effectively uh, carry out its, his promise to defund the CBC. We'll come to that on the second half of the show, but let's um, let's start with uh, with the subject of healthcare. Uh, this week, the federal government announced uh, a, a commitment to increase transfers to the provinces uh, for healthcare. We had a meeting between the prime minister and the premiers, and now um, now comes the dance, of course, where the the premiers, uh, him and Ha, but whether they're prepared to accept the federal dollars in exchange for some kind of conditionality. Um, um, that remains uh, something of an open question. You know, what's your sense of uh, of the developments this week? Are they significant as a matter of politics? Are they significant as a matter of health policy? Or uh, was this ultimately kind of uh, more noise um, than it was substance? Yeah, I think um, since you wrote a great piece on the policy side of this, um, I'll leave that to you. And then I'll talk about the political side of this, because I think that's incredibly interesting because um, one common theme that we've been talking about on this podcast is the liberals kind of being out of gas and just not being able to get a foothold politically, not really having any new ideas. And I think if you look at the way this was characterized, um, you know, our piece by you this morning was about how this is basically the status quo. Um, It's not a big difference from what was happening before. Um, and that was kind of the narrative coming out of this, which I don't think is what the liberals would have wanted mm. to come out of this. The, you could tell they were sort of um, briefing reporters before it came out that it was a big number. It was $100 billion. Um, but then you start doing the math, you know, over 10 years and how much we already spend on healthcare. There wasn't a lot of new money relative to the healthcare budgets of the provinces. And there wasn't really much to bring home uh, if you're a liberal prime minister, which is partly because it's not your jurisdiction. And it's partly because I think a lot of people in Canada, a lot of premiers too, have come to the conclusion that more money is not gonna solve this problem. And even the sort of optimistic hope that more money could solve this problem is not even there anymore. Um, Mm. So I think that's probably why you saw Justin Trudeau kind of laying down his arms on private delivery delivery and not actually attacking Doug Ford over it and why maybe there's been more open-mindedness among Canadians about different ways to do healthcare. So um, that is a tough environment politically for the Liberals because if you see the way the budgets are tightening, there's not a lot of room for them to do splashy things and if they're not winning by giving lots of money on healthcare, uh, where do you go if you're a liberal prime minister? <laughs> yeah, I agree with uh, much of what you said, Stuart. Um, maybe just uh, two quick observations. The, the, the first, as you say, um, when you uh, strip away the hyperbole and the long time frame and the mixing of old and new money, I'm struck actually by how little ambition there is in the incremental dollars put forward by the federal government. Um, according to analysis by University of Calgary economist and, and regular hub contributor Trevor Toom, the kind of net effect of this week's announcement means that the Canada health transfer um, moving forward will grow at a rate of approaching five and a half percent per year relative to the baseline, which was about four and a half percent per year. So we've been 
uh, had wall to wall coverage for 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 days and weeks, anticipating this first minister's meeting. We've effectively been talking about healthcare and federal financing for healthcare going back to 2011, when the Harper government first made a change to the Hennon Canada Health Transfer. And when that's all said and done, uh, we're talking about what amounts to a, a one percentage point increase in in the growth rate of federal transfers. Um, um, so as you say. Uh, 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 a much less ambition, I think, than than some would have envisioned. But I want to take up your other point, which is that in order to secure provincial buy-in, I, I think we have the, the prime minister and his government essentially validating uh, the, the Ford government's plans for greater private involvement in the healthcare system, which is a pretty extraordinary development to think that a liberal prime minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, is um, going to effectively preside over the most significant expansion of private health care in modern Canadian history is not a, a bet that I would have made uh, back in 2015 uh, when he first took office. And I think there's two things at play here. The first is just arithmetic, as you say, especially in the aftermath of the pandemic. Everybody is looking at the same set of circumstances and recognizing that something has, has to give, that we aren't going to be able to solve for um, the challenges in our healthcare system without an infusion of uh, what we've come to, or at least I've come to describe at the hub is, quote, surge capacity. Um, and so there's a, a kind of pragmatic element to it. But the second part is, I think the government was so determined to secure provincial buy-in here um, that uh, coming down hard on the Ford government's proposal for private sector expansion um, would have um, put that at risk. And so um, the water and the wine for uh, securing, at least for the for the short term, um, a degree of tranquility on federal provincial relations with respect to health care is to have Canada's most progressive prime minister and government uh, essentially um, to the right of Stephen Harper's government, in a way, on um, the on permitting um, growing private health care at the provincial level, I I think that's a signal to provincial governments across the country that this is um, you know the 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 path to pursue. Let me just put it to you: What do you think, um, Stuart, is behind the um, the determination on the part of the Trudeau government to secure a buy-in? Uh, on this deal, because, you know, one could have seen an alternative scenario where the government as a political matter kind of leaned into opposition to what Ontario is doing and indeed other provinces are doing and and do what it often has done in the past, which is to be kind of a champion for Canadian institutions and and Canadian symbols, including our our single payer healthcare system. What do you think is behind um um, kind of the the acquiescence in the face of growing provincial experimentation with private healthcare delivery. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a strong case that there might be some kind of pragmatic thinking on the part of the government that they need to get this deal done. And that was something they had to do to get it. But I also think that the level of catastrophe that was happening in the healthcare system, I mean, we're talking millions of people waiting for some kind of procedure. Um, we had about a million just waiting for surgeries in Ontario, but there's way more than that. There's MRIs and CAT scans and stuff like that. Um, that was not going to go away. Even if you put in more money, even if you, you know, did whatever 
everything that's at Justin Trudeau's disposal uh, wasn't going to solve that problem. And I think there was maybe just a pragmatic calculation that literally the only way to solve this is with private surgeries. Um, and if you are the prime minister of Canada and there is a solution to a problem that's vexing the whole country and you're not willing to take it up, that's hard to justify. And if things then get worse, if we get more chaos in healthcare and it becomes sort of a pitched battle between Doug Ford, who's doing something and Justin Trudeau, who's saying, no, you shouldn't do anything. Um, that's a really hard spot to be in. So maybe they just felt like, I also wonder because we had that Ipsos poll saying now 60% of Canadians are open to the idea of private delivery. That's a big change. And I wonder if maybe in the prime minister's office, they were looking at similar polling and they realized it was a losing battle, which even that calculation coming from a liberal PMO is just really striking. I think that's right. Um, you know, I've been observing and involved in healthcare policy debates for, you know, more than a decade now. And I think it's fair to say that the Overton window has never been wider. Um, that one of the consequences of the pandemic um, and the the wait times that 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 resulted from um, the systems um, um, focus on addressing the pandemic at the expense of other of other issues um, has caused Canadians to kind of rethink their um, their basic adherence to the the kind of mythology of the single payer system. I, you know, I don't know about you, Stuart, but it feels like everybody knows someone who went through pain and anguish because they um, because they weren't able to have a test or a surgery promptly. Um, you know, we know people in our circles who um, who because of delays in the system um, had illnesses or diseases go um, um, overlooked and and so on. So I do think that there is a kind of critical mass of Canadians who are open to um, new ideas and new approaches. And and just the second thing I'll say before we maybe move on to the next subject, uh, I, I sp spoken directly to some conservatives who, uh, I'm talking about small C conservatives, not partisan conservatives, but those who have expressed concern that a, another infusion of federal funds will blunt the incentive for provinces to pursue reform. I'd push back on that a little bit. First of all, I don't think the paltry amount of of relative funds we're talking about here fundamentally changed the equation. We, uh, as I write in the piece that you were so kind to mention, the basic equation facing the provinces is the same as it was um, before the federal government made this announcement. And secondly, to this conversation we've been having, having the federal government, this particular federal government, essentially validate experimentation with private delivery, I just think is... Um, a kind of game changer. Um, think about if Pierre Polyev becomes prime minister and the, the kind of goalposts of debate have been set such that the federal government is going to permit as a kind of just default what uh, Premier Ford announced a few weeks ago. That's huge and certainly worth a few extra billion dollars sloshing in the, round, in the system as far as I'm concerned from a kind of long-term change perspective. But um, yeah, big week. Uh, in federal provincial relations and not simply because of an awkward handshake between uh, the prime minister uh, and uh, Alberta Premier Daniel Smith. When we come back uh, from the break, let's take up uh, the recent spat uh, between uh, uh, Pierre Polyev, the Conservative Party leader, and uh, the president and CEO of, of CBC, who um, 
kind of uh, surprisingly took a run at the leader of the official opposition this week. And uh, and I'm I'm not sure uh, a few days out if it's uh, if it was a the reaction was the one that she anticipated. But we'll take that back up in a moment. You're one click away from getting access to all the Hub's best analysis and insights. Visit our website, www.thehub.ca now and sign up for our weekly email news digest. Every Saturday morning, we'll send to your inbox the cutting-edge thinking and analysis of our smartest contributors on the week that was. Dive in to the big issues and ideas moving the public conversation, courtesy of The Hub. Again, you can grab that exclusive email newsletter right now, free of charge, at www.thehub.ca. Now back to our program. Okay, uh, welcome back, Hub listeners, uh, to the Friday Roundtable. I'm here, uh, Sean Spear, with with our editor-in-chief, Stuart Thompson, uh, who's coming to us uh, from the province of Alberta. Our executive director, Rudyard Griffiths, is is away this week. Uh, Stuart, we've been uh, following closely in the past few weeks policy thinking about the future of the CBC. If listeners haven't checked out Stuart's really magnificent article um, that unpacks some of the different approaches um, that a Polyev-led government could pursue to effectively bring expression to his commitment to um, to fund the CBC, I'd strongly encourage it. But it, it feels like uh, the CBC is now reacting uh, to uh, to the conservatives. We had this week both um, a kind of future plan out of the CBC to effectively get out of traditional television and broadcasting uh, and move to streaming only. Um, and and in, as part of that, uh, the articulation of that plan, a kind of direct uh, uh, a comment on uh, on Polyev and the Conservatives and 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 the CBC. Uh, why don't you start by just kind of talking a bit about what we saw and and, and what your reaction to it is? Yeah, I guess this is the <laughs> this is the speaking tour um, from the CBC, and I was struggling to figure out the goal here. Like, is the goal persuasion, or is the goal? to sort of gin up the pro CBC base to, you know, make them aware that there is a threat. And I think we should make that clear that from my reporting, there is a threat. Um, I don't think this is something that Polyev is just going to cast aside. Um, He may not defund it completely, um, but something will happen. Um, And I think the CBC, if you were working for the CBC, um, you're probably very concerned about this. Um, And I think, you know, there's a few ways you could go about this. You could say, here's how useful we are and important we are. And here's what we're doing that maybe the people who criticize us aren't aware of, or maybe they just look at the stuff they don't like um, and have a real discussion. But I was really surprised that Catherine Tate, the CEO of CBC, went directly after Pierre Polyev. There's a lot of ways to do it in the nature of like a subtweet where you attack someone without naming them. Um, that to me is probably the savviest way to go about it. But I think if you were to ask Pierre Polyev, what would you most like to happen in your life <laughs> politically? <laughs> Getting attacked by Catherine Tate might be number one. Maybe Tip Macklin is number one and Catherine Tate is number two. But um, I, I can't imagine, I would love to have been in the room with him when that 
came across his desk. Um, I, I can't imagine a better situation for them as a party to fundraise and Pierre Polyev um, to get his rhetorical uh, uh, motor running. Well, exactly, Stuart, especially since, you know, perceptions of of a lack of independence and a kind of inherent partisanship within the CBC, it seems to me is a kind of serious institutional risk for the organization. Um, this comes on the heels, of course, of the the case in 2021, if, if my memory serves me correctly, when the CBC actually sued the Conservative Party and lost uh, on a copyright case, um, which was at the time self-evidently uh, short-sighted. Um, and then you, you now have um, the CBC CEO um, directly um, uh, confronting the, the leader of, of the official opposition. As you say, not only does it have the kind of short-term consequence of handing Pierre Polyev and the conservatives a cudgel to, at minimum, fundraise against, it also, it seems to me, um, puts at at some risk perceptions of the objectivity of CBC News and and all the rest. Um, uh, we could talk about that particular line of of analysis uh, for a while because I think we both agree uh, it it uh, it sort of defies logic. But there's a lot of people doing that. Let's just take up um, in the moments we have left. Uh, whether we ought to take seriously um, this proposal that she put out, I, I, I have no reason not to take it seriously, um, that it's her intention um, and the CBC's intention to uh, get away from traditional broadcasting and, and radio. Is, is that a serious proposal in, in your mind? Or is it a kind of exercise in issue management in the face of Polyev's commitment to defund the CBC? Yeah, that the 10 year... Uh, time frame. <laughs> it puts up a red flag in my mind. Um, and I compared it to my wife knows that if she asks me to do something that's three or more months away, I will just say yes. And that is because I can't think on longer time frames than that. And I think that's maybe if you're in politics, a pretty good to the 10 year time frame usually is beyond most people's mandates, whether you're in charge of an organization or you're a prime minister. Um, so if you say, don't worry, in 10 years, we're going to fix all this. It's going to be really great. Um, but I, on the merits, though, if we were to take this seriously, it is something the BBC is planning to do, um, but it does kind of create the questions about is the CBC fulfilling its mandate? Because, you know, if we look at the areas that don't have access to the Internet still, um, you know, it's more of Canada than you'd like to think. Um, but also it's those very places that the CBC says it's fulfilling its mandate on, you know, the remote areas that need news and uh, the places that can't otherwise get it. So I, I don't know. They'd have to solve a lot of those issues first and then you'd have the question of how much will this actually save if you're doing it that way? Mm. Um, because you would imagine you still need a lot of the talent and the studios and things to go along with it. So it seems to me like you'd just be saving on the margins anyways. Yeah, I, I think it's, a as you say, there's so many outstanding questions. It did feel a bit like this idea wasn't kind of ready for prime time. And it was as much a kind of small P political reaction as it was a, a detailed kind of business strategy uh, for the public broadcaster. Um, but I think it's another example, uh, Stuart, of Pierre Polyev kind of setting the terms of policy debate at the federal level. We've talked um, previously about inflation. I think there's a case that we're starting to see a change in how the government 
is communicating around crime in cities. It's, you know, it's notable, for instance, that this week um, or in the past week or so, it's abandoned its gun legislation. Uh, and can I just digress for a second and encourage listeners on that subject to check out um, Amalatar Guzman's excellent article at The Hub about guns and the Trudeau government's now botched um, gun legislation. Uh, you know, I think there's a case uh, on on the CBC where it feels like Pierre Polyev is leading the discussion and others are trying to catch up. And, you know, I don't know, Stuart, like if you look ahead 10 years from now and the CBC is a kind of niche online uh, uh, broadcaster that maybe is paid through a combination of subscription fees and even a small parliamentary appropriation, but that it is off the airwaves. Um, you know, that strikes me as approximating a win uh, for the conservatives. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I had a, you'll remember that a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Ginny Roth on our uh, regular podcast hub dialogues about what success would look like for the pop for the poly of led conservatives in 2023 in the event we don't have an election and she said um that he continues to set the the terms of debate on some of the key political and policy issues facing the country and i think this is a case um where where he's doing that why don't i um, give the final word to you you can take up that point or any others that you want to um uh from your hotel room in, in alberta yeah, I, I think that is something that I hadn't fully thought about, but seems obvious now that you do, which is that a, a long running government um, loses a lot of things. One of them is staff and talent and people who can, you know, keep the energy going. Um, you know, your A team burns out after a few years and then, you know, you're kind of cycling through new people. Um, the second thing, though, is that you've kind of in in that time you've kind of hit all the issues you want to hit usually uh, the big things that animated you and motivated you in the beginning um, either you've done them or you found they're too politically difficult to do um, and then someone like polyev comes in with all these issues and all this kind of new way of talking about things and it's a real problem for a government to be on the defensive all the time and that i think that's maybe what we're seeing from the liberals is why they seem out of gas is that that's it's hard. It is just legitimately hard to come. We're, we're coming on eight years now. It's seven years and a bit um, to start to have new ideas. Um, so that's tough. It's a tough problem to solve. Old corporations get the same problem when yes. they get disrupted by newer ones. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Uh, great insight. Um, Pierre Polyev as a as a startup uh, facing the old incumbents. I think there's something to that. Um, and that problem is made even worse, as you mentioned in the first segment, um, when you don't have um, infinite resources available to you in the form of on, of deficit financing. Um, uh, Finance Minister Christia Freeland, either because of market pressure or political pressure or whatever, has signaled um, is going to be a, a tighter budget than we've uh, grown accustomed to under this government, which, as you say, only um, narrows uh its options. Uh, Stuart, a uh, great conversation as always. Um, for those listeners who disappointed uh, not to hear our executive director, Rudyard Griffiths on the podcast, don't worry, he'll be back next week. Uh, in the meantime, thanks as always uh, for listening and uh, look forward to catching up next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Friday Roundtable edition of the Hub Dialogues. I'm Roger Griffiths. 
the executive director of The Hub. I've been in conversation with Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, and Stuart Thompson, The Hub's editor-in-chief. This program is produced and edited by Amal Otter Guzman. You can access a video version of this recording anytime on YouTube. Simply search for The Hub or The Hub Canada. You can also get video and audio versions on our website at www.thehub.ca. And finally, you can subscribe to The Hub's podcast feed on virtually any audio platform. We've got all kinds of terrific conversations featuring some of the world's sharpest minds and brightest thinkers discussing the big issues and ideas transforming our world. That's The Hub Dialogues, and it's waiting for you right now on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Hub Roundtable. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky-Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Thanks for listening.